Okay, good morning. The Buddha taught He said, Ma Bikwe Anato Viharata. Don't live without a refuge. Dukho Bikwe Anato Viharati. Someone who is without refuge. lives in suffering. I don't think this is hard for us to appreciate or understand. It's something that should be familiar to many of us. Those of us who have been in our lives without refuge understand how unpleasant it can be. It's true, for many people there doesn't seem such an urgent need to find protection. At times life can be Pleasant, stable, peaceful. And for those people at those times, it seems like there's not much need for any kind of protection or refuge. It's only when suffering hits, calamity, disaster, Accident, loss, sickness, conflict, then we search for some something to protect us from that, or we wish we'd had something that would protect us. Mostly, of course, we look outside. We look for an external refuge. And it's not that there isn't any external refuge. The Buddha himself is our refuge. Buddhang saranangacharami. I go to the Buddha for refuge. The Dhamma is our refuge. Dhammang saranangacharami. I go to the Dhamma for refuge. The Sangha is our refuge. Sanghang Saranangha Charmi. I go to the Sangha for refuge. But the Buddha also said, Atahi Atanonato. One is one's own refuge. And the Buddha helps, the Dhamma helps, the Sangha helps, but 
really mostly only because we help ourselves. The Dhamma, the Sangha, the Buddha help us to help ourselves, give us the tools for us to do the work. Because there are many dangers in the world that no external su support or help or refuge can protect us from. No parent or guardian, no relative can keep us, relative or friend can keep us from so many types of suffering, so many sources of danger. Externally, sickness, pain. And, and and even more internally. No one can keep us from greed, anger, delusion, from depression, anxiety, fear, addiction. There's no greater refuge than than our own mind. There's no other refuge. There's no real refuge outside of our own mind. And so when the Buddha said, don't live without a refuge, he was mainly talking about making yourself a refuge. Having the, having the foresight to prepare yourself for danger not in in the sense of anticipating danger like sitting around waiting for danger to come but changing your situation from one that is vulnerable so that your happiness depends on circumstance. If things are like this, I'll be happy. As long as they stay like this. As long as they aren't like that. That's dependent. That's vulnerable. To one that is independent and invulnerable. Whether things are like this or like that. I am at peace. That's invulnerable. So, how do we make ourselves a refuge? How do we gain this invulnerability, this independence? Well, again, having a refuge doesn't just mean internal support. The best refuge is your own mind, but part of that involves the refuge that comes from the support of others. others, Other people, the support of others is also dependent on our mind. 
whether we are the sort of person worth protecting, worth supporting, whether other people feel comfortable supporting us. The Buddha um, listed ten ways of creating a refuge. Ten, ten, dhamma, ten dhammas for building a refuge. They're called the Nata Karna Dhamma. The first one is Sila, of course. So many of the lists start with sila, morality, ethics. This is a great refuge. It's a great description of of sila, a great uh, explanation of the importance of sila, that it's a refuge. Sila is not a burden. It's not a burden to stop killing and stealing and lying and cheating and taking drugs, alcohol, hurting others, speaking harsh words and so on. This isn't a burden. It's a great boon if we are able even to just know these things, even to have a sense of the importance of of abstaining from reckless behavior and speech, harmful behavior and speech, is a great refuge. It's a refuge, of course, because by breaking precepts, by doing things that are, well, first of all, immoral and unethical, of course you're going to get into trouble. You get into trouble with the law, but more, more practically you get in trouble with people on, on a very basic level you get in trouble in your own mind feeling guilty cultivating habits of anger and greed and crookedness real crookedness you don't think straight anymore you try you think in terms of manipulating others not in terms of bringing peace and harmony your sense of good is skewed, everything is crooked. It's a great danger. Sila is a very important part of refuge. It's a very important refuge. It's a very stable refuge, something we can depend on. The second one is Bahusutta. 
Bahu Sutta, Bahu Much Sutta, literally hearing, let's say learning is what it really means. In Buddha's time, everything was learned through voice, very little writing. Even today, you see much of the Dhamma is, has come full circle. For a long time, it was all written. Everything would have to be written down. I mean, in, in terms of this mass production of Dhamma. When I learned the Dhamma, it was all, in the beginning, it was all oral as well. You go to a meditation center, the teachings you get are all oral. Someone explaining it to you. But we never had this potential to speak, to record our voice. Now it's very easy to find recorded teachings. But the meaning is learning. Learning the Dhamma from from speech or from from printed word, it doesn't matter. Bahu Sutta means having much learning. Now learning is of course something we, we trivialize to some extent in Buddhism. Don't rely on learning. Don't confuse learning with understanding. It's very different. You can know everything about the Dhamma and know nothing about the Dhamma at the same time. Two very different things. But that being said, it is a, it is a great refuge. Without any learning, you'd have no Dhamma. You'd have no practice. Practice is not something you can do find on your own, not without the learning. Either you spend all the countless lifetimes the Buddha spent learning for yourself or you listen to someone who has been there. And more importantly that the, the much learning that learning gives you a framework within to grow within which to grow you don't need to learn a lot to just practice but to grow and to keep growing you need a framework many of the things we learn in the dhamma are not immediately applicable Even you learn about these ten nata karana dhamma, you learn about all these things. Some of them won't immediately be practical, but when you remember them and you come back to them and you hear them again and again, even just reminding yourself of them, having them in your mind, allows you to grow into them. Learning is like that, memorizing. Memorizing the Buddha's teaching is great. If you're able to distinguish between what you know and what you only heard, it can be a great protection, a great refuge. The danger is when you confuse them, of course. 
You learn everything and then think you know everything. Nonetheless, we should learn. If we're able, we should learn and we should take care to distinguish what we know and what we don't know. And we can grow into what we don't yet know. The things we've heard that we don't yet know for ourselves. Sutta, Bahu Sutta. Number three is Kalyanamita. One should be Kalyanamito. Kalyanamito Hoti. One should be a good friend, one should have good friends. Being a good friend is a good ref is a great refuge. People appreciate when you're friendly. That's why metta is so uh, praised by the Buddha. Friendliness makes for harmony and peace and a great refuge. And we should surround ourselves with good friends. Try and associate with people who have good qualities. Try and incline our minds towards cultivating friendship with good people. Kalyana means beautiful. It doesn't mean we have to avoid, actively avoid people who are unethical and immoral and, and, and harmful. It means we have to be able to distinguish and understand what it what a true friendship is. True friendship requires kindness, friendliness, it requires trust and support, protection. Friendship is a mutual Activity of support, care, and kindness, thoughtfulness. So, a great refuge to have good friends, of course. Number four, Suwajo, Suwaja. Suwaja. Su means easy in this case. Suwaja. Easy to speak to is what suwaja is. Being easy to speak to. Easy to admonish is the meaning. No? It's a great danger to us if we are intractable. Unamenable to change. Closed to any kind of criticism. Reactionary to any kind of judgment or pointing out of our faults. Unable to take criticism. So very grave weakness. A great danger to friendship. A great danger to progress to 
spiritual development Obstinacy, obstinacy Stubbornness, pride Grave dangers Danger to most if not all people Well, anyone who is not yet Not yet enlightened Stubbornness, intractability The Buddha talked about this And he reminded us If you want help You have to be easy to help Like a patient no? If a patient is difficult Won't take their medicine Won't acknowledge that they're sick that's a common one Most dangerous Not acknowledging that you're sick Sometimes we know we're sick But we don't want to appear sick We don't let other people know that we're sick We don't accept when other people tell, tell us we're sick Even though we know it Because it feels like a vulnerability A weakness It's a grave danger to keep it hidden No one will help us No one will Feel com comfortable or confident helping us. Feel helpless because we're not letting them help them help us. And as with the physical, so with the mental. When we don't let other people remind us of our faults, of our mistakes, point out our mistakes. Point out our faults We're not easy to admonish It's a grave danger So it's a great protection for us A great refuge If we are amenable To instruction A good teacher will not get angry at a student For being Stubborn Unruly Hard to teach But likewise Most teachers will not A teacher will generally not feel comfortable Providing Instruction to someone who is unruly Intractable To some extent it's pointless It's a waste of It's a waste of energy to try and help someone who isn't willing to be helped Isn't open to being helped Someone who is stubborn and hard to teach It's a great refuge for us if we are Humble Easy to teach It's a very important sort of um, Quality That we have to develop it's Something we have to keep track of our pride and stubbornness We have to be mindful Be vigilant And noticing when it arises And not letting it overwhelm us And consume us And keep us from receiving instruction From receiving support From engaging in this Anya manya vacha nena The Buddha said Anya manya vacha Anya manya means other and other, it means uh, one another Vacha, again this vacha, suvacha Anyamanya vacha means speaking to one another Doesn't mean 
doesn't mean only listening to our teachers, right? Sometimes we feel indignant because someone tries to teach us, but you're not my teacher. No. We shouldn't be indignant like that. shouldn't be angry when someone tries to point out our faults. We should consider carefully whether it's true or not true, and if it's true, we should thank the person or at least objectively understand that it's true. Suvarjo. Number five is Number five is, uh, well, it means helping our fellows with their work. King Garniani Tatha Dakohoti. Being keen on, on supporting others in their work. This is the idea here is in a monastery monks should take an interest in each other's work others duties and tasks you know, suppose one monk's kuti is broken there's a leak or something everyone should come together to help even in the times when monks spend their time in silent meditation they would still Help each other silently. Uh, division, dividing duties in monasteries, and so on. So, this is this is for monks, but the same, of course, applies in any community and any residence. And the general principle is harmony. Harmony and mutual support. This idea of everyone for themselves. That's, of course, an idea that is antithetical to any kind of community or harmony. And there's a great strength that comes from communal harmony. Buddha said, Sukho Sangasa Samaki. A community that is in harmony, Sukho is, is happiness. It is happiness. Happiness is a harmonious community. It's a great refuge. It's a great refuge to be supportive of each other. Others, of course, will support you. The community will be in harmony. The community will grow and flourish. It will attract support. And so this, of course, is something that is clear for religious institutions but the same goes for families and societies our societies will flourish if we help each other one thing you see in, in times of trouble and times of difficulty is the people who come together to help to support each other you say it brings out the best and the worst in people well you can see the best and how great a support, great a refuge that is for 
for society as a whole, for the people on both sides, providing each other with refuge, providing each other with support. Number six, Dhamma Kamo. It's one of the few times the Buddha uses the word Kama in a good way. Kama here means love. Dhamma Kamo, in love with the Dhamma. Kama. Dhamma Kamo Bhavang Hoti. One who loves the Dhamma. One who is in love with the Dhamma is a developed person, is, is a high-minded individual, cultivated person. So obviously the Buddha is not saying we should crave the Dhamma or have any kind of lust or anything, passion. But he acknowledges this attraction describes this state of attraction to the Dhamma. Someone who is intent upon the Dhamma, there is a real feeling of zest, zeal, because of how pure and profound and perfect the Dhamma is in so many ways. This is a great refuge. It would be a great detriment to us if we looked at the Dhamma Uh, with 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 uh, aversion, if we were averse or afraid or displeased by the Dhamma, that would be a great danger to us. And it doesn't have to just mean the teaching of the Buddha. Of course, it's not just because the Buddha taught it. It's a grave danger for us to look at anything right as though it's wrong. It would be a grave danger for us to, to look down upon any kind of practice that is beneficial. To have that sort of wrong view is to be very much on the wrong path, a wrong perspective that, of course, leads us down other paths. To not see what is important as important, what is unimportant as unimportant, to not see what is beneficial as beneficial is a grave danger. It is a great support for us not only to know the Dhamma but to be in love with it in the sense of appreciating it. Having our mind leap at the idea of practicing and learning the Dhamma. When the mind leaps at the idea of doing good deeds, jumps up, ready to act. That's a great protection, a great refuge for us. Of course, because it keeps us on the right path, keeps us doing good things. It's only our in inclination that keeps us away from danger. All bad inclinations, that's what will lead us to danger. And number seven, santuti. Santuti means uh, contentment. Contentment is a very, very great refuge. 
What's it a refuge from? It's a refuge from greed. What a danger it is to be addicted, to need things, and not just things, but more and more and more. Whatever you get will not be enough. The Buddha said it could rain gold, and that would never be enough for one person. We hear about billionaires and how they have so much money they don't know what to do with, and then we hear about billionaires becoming trillionaires. It will never be enough. That's not how greed works. Greed is of a nature to not ever have enough. There's no appeasement for greed. So being content with nothing is a very different way of going. It appears powerless in many ways. When you don't have, you are powerless. You're powerless, but you are impervious. person without wealth, without possessions, is without power in many ways, but they are also without suffering in so many ways, because they're impervious to loss. Contentment doesn't mean not getting or having anything, of course, but it means being content with whatever you get. And on a practice on a practice level, that's a very important part of mindfulness, because it no longer applies to possessions and things; it applies to experiences. Contentment with whatever experience. Not having your happiness and your peace depend on the vicissitudes of experience. The constant, unpredictable nature of reality. If our happiness depended on that, we would always be stressed and suffering. It is a refuge for us to be content. Number seven, number eight, Aradha Virya. Aradha Virya. Virya, effort. Aradha means like strong or unrelenting. Effort is a great refuge because laziness is a great danger. As long as we have this vulnerability, this crookedness in the mind, the any, the any kind of unwholesomeness in our mind, laziness allows it to breed and fester and grow. One important characteristic of the path of, to freedom or the, the, the right way to live is that it involves effort. It doesn't mean we have to force ourselves to do good things. In fact, forcing ourselves to some extent is lazy. It's much easier to try and force yourself to meditate, for example, than to actually be mindful. It's a lazy way to be effortful, is to just force yourself, push, push yourself. 
Effort doesn't mean pushing yourself, it means doing it again and again. It's quite different from forcing. Effort arises in a moment, it's, it has to be coupled with mindfulness. And so the effort to be mindful means the spark at every moment. Reminding yourself, inclining your mind to be mindful again and again and again, that's effort. Effort, for the most part, is about being methodical, consistent, not giving up, not backing off, not slacking off. A great refuge keep, to keep our minds in all wholesomeness requires effort, repetitive effort, again and again. Not letting ourselves become complacent with good things we've done in the past or what we might do in the future, but repetitive inclination of the mind to good things. Number nine is, of course, sati. Sati is the second most important thing, so it's the second last one. Sati is the basis of our practice. Sati is the, the core of our practice. Sati, to remember. Not things that happened in the past or what we have to do in the future, but to remember the present, to remember what's happening. To have the mind stay with the experience without getting caught up in extrapolation or reaction. The mind that is aware of what's happening right now in the body, the feelings, the mind, the Dhamma. That being in the present moment is the ultimate refuge. When the Buddha boiled this all down, he ultimately said, when he said, be your own refuge, how do you, how do, you do that, he said? Practice the four satipatthana. Sati, mindfulness, remembrance. This is the greatest refuge. Said second most important because the last one is wisdom. So mindfulness is great because it protects us every moment. But it only protects us at the moment when we're mindful. If we stop being mindful, then we lose the protection. It's flawed that way. It's limited that way. It's not a flaw, it's a limit. Sati protects the mind and, and that's not just a... It doesn't make it just a temporary solution. It means it's not the final solution, it's not the ultimate goal. Sati is what leads us to the goal. Because protecting our mind in this way, protecting our mind from delusion, from the darkness of 
ignorance and, and wrong view and so on creates clarity in the mind. It allows us to see clearly the nature of reality, the nature of experience. It allows us to see right from wrong and good from bad, happiness from suffering. That's the real goal of sati, of mindfulness. Yes, it's a great protection, but the real refuge, the ultimate refuge, is wisdom. Seeing things clearly and fully and completely as they are. And that's what comes from mindfulness, with the protection that we give to our mind at every moment. Brings us to the ultimate protection that, that doesn't fade away. When you see things as they are, Panyaya parisujati. Through wisdom, one is purified. Purity and the freedom from any kind of stain or, or um, fault. All it takes is wisdom to be pure. We see that there's nothing worth clinging to, that everything that arises inside of us and in the world around us is impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable, not worth clinging to. Just that wisdom, just that, frees us from all kinds of danger, all of the dangers of clinging, all of the dangers of misapprehending things as stable, satisfying, and controllable all the problems that come from misunderstanding reality and, and clinging to reality as though it might provide us with stability, with satisfaction or control. All of that we do away with just by seeing clearly. Wisdom is the greatest refuge. All ten of these provide a really good framework for Buddhist practice and Buddhist theory. So that's the Dhamma for this morning. A reminder, a refresher, something new for those who haven't heard it before. The importance of making a refuge for yourself and the means by which to do that. Thank you all for listening.